if, if we haven't gotten the chance to meet yet, um, my name is James, uh, and I serve as the lead pastor of this gathering. Um, we're going to be diving in uh, to the book of First Peter today. Uh, we're actually in week two of this new uh, sermon series working through this book. And so if you want to go ahead and grab your Bibles, uh, why don't you do that now? And, and while you do, uh, let me set up where we've been and where we're headed because uh, we have quite a bit to cover uh, today. Uh, last week, we started by, by looking at the author uh, of this letter, which is Peter, uh, a man who was one of Jesus' closest disciples uh, and closest friends. And, and to sum up Peter, if we could try to sum up Peter, uh, he was an ordinary, uh, simple man who was well acquainted with uh, struggle, with, with pain, uh, with brokenness, and personal failure, just like we are. Uh, Peter had all sorts of ups and downs. But most importantly, uh, what we know about Peter is that he was radically transformed by the grace of God in Jesus. And therefore, we should be interested in what he has to say. Uh, we can trust him as a follower of Jesus um, as one of our Lord's apostles. We can trust him. Um, well, then what we did after that, we looked at Peter, and then we looked at uh, his audience, who Peter was writing to. And what we discovered um, is Peter, writing from Rome, about 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead, and he was writing to, to Christians who had been scattered throughout Asia Minor, which is now modern-day northern Turkey. He's writing to these, these Gentile Christians, um, these believers, um, and, and, and how he addresses them, uh, or, or the purpose or the reason why he addresses them, is because we know that these believers were facing all sorts of trials, all sorts of persecution, heartache. They were having all types of problems. And so Peter writes to them to help them understand how they can stand firm in the grace of God. And so today, if, if you find yourself facing hardship, uh, or, or maybe you don't know how to stand, stand firm, maybe you're, you're right now in a place where you're facing ongoing temptations, right? You're wondering if change is possible in your life. You know, maybe your faith is wavering right now because of the difficulty of this season, you might have some doubts even about Jesus. Well, if that's true of you, or if any of that's true of you, First Peter is, is for you. Well, right from the beginning, we see that Peter encourages us by reminding us as followers of Jesus uh, who we are and all that God is for us. And in verse 1, he, he tells us that we are exiles in this world, exiles, that we are foreigners, actually, visitors, which means that while we do care about this world, we're not supposed to just you know, dismiss it and not care about the things in this world, but while we do care about this world, ultimately what we know is that this place, this, this, this home, this, this world, is not our primary reference point. That in reality, our, our true purpose our hope, our, our joy and peace is not found here, but in the one who created here, who created this world. 
And when you know that and, and truly believe that, it truly changes everything about who we are and how we see our lives. Well, then Peter moves on to, to verse 2. That, those realities were just verse 1. Then he, he moves on to verse 2. And what we saw last week is that as Christians, we have a profound new identity in Christ. Peter says that God knows you. And he actually chose you. The Father chose you. The, that the Holy Spirit has set you apart. And it also says that you have been forgiven to belong to Jesus by grace for your peace. And so though we are just mere, merely sojourners, we have great comfort, or we can have great comfort in who God has made us to be. Well, in light of those amazing truths, what we see Peter do next, then, is turn to a position of praise, which is where we're going to land today. We're going to be talking through or working ourselves through this beautiful doxology or, or a hymn of praise that we see starting in verse 3. And so let's read this text together today. Uh, we're going to stop in verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. This is what Peter says. He says, Blessed be the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen. Well, as we read through this doxology, uh, what I want to point out before we even, even go deeper into the text is that ultimately what we see Peter doing here is calling his readers to, to praise God for something that they don't currently have. And what is that? Well, Peter calls it an inheritance, an inheritance that is reserved and protected for us, which will be later revealed, he says. See, we have to keep in mind, once again, that Peter is writing to exiles, okay, to aliens, to, to foreigners. These are people who have been scattered because of persecution. They've been scattered all over the Mediterranean world. And everywhere that they went, as followers of Jesus, life was hard. There was persecution, abuse, okay, and hatred towards them because of their faith in Christ. And on top of that, we know that they really had very little, right? Their, their resources were few. It was a difficult world to live in for the Christian. And we're actually going to see a, a lot more of that revealed throughout this, this letter. But now in light of that, Peter calls for a doxology, a celebration of exalted praise to God for who they have been made to be by the Lord. But even more so, Peter wants them to praise God for the life that is to come, for the life that is not yet. It's a call to worship the Lord who has promised us 
eternal joy and blessing in the future. That's what we see here. To, to praise him for our promised inheritance. That though we are exiles here, sojourners, though we may struggle and, and hurt and fail in this world, we know, Peter's going to show us, that our best life is not here and now. That our best life is in what is to come. And so today, we're going to spend our time together talking about this inheritance that we see in verse 4. We're going to talk about what it is and all that it means for us. And so let's first talk about what it is. What it is. You know, in general, I think the majority of us understand the concept of an inheritance, right? It's something, it's simply something that comes to you or is promised to come to you uh, in the future. And in scripture, especially in the Old Testament, we know that inheritance, that word inheritance, was a familiar word uh, because if you remember, the Israelites were, were promised an inheritance and that inheritance was the land of Canaan, the promised land. The land that God had promised to the children of Israel. We know um, from all the way back in Genesis that, that God first promised this land to Abraham. But, but then it was actually, actually years and years, hundreds of years actually, a very long time before this promised land was actually realized. Uh, we know, for example, that the Israelites faced hundreds of years in bondage in Egypt. And on top of that, there were decades and decades of, of wandering in the wilderness, even after the delivery out of Egypt. And so this group of people, you can just read the Old Testament for yourself, and you'd see, like, very common, this group of people, the Israelites, they had a very troubled past, tough lives, lived very hard lives, until they finally entered into their inheritance. And so in a very similar way, what Peter is telling his reader, what he's saying to you and I is, is you, church, church, you are like the children of Israel as exiles. You're like the children of Israel in bondage in Egypt. You're like the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness of the desert. Right? I know that you're struggling. I know you're facing hardships from all around you. But what I want you to do is wait patiently with hearts of praise because your promise is coming. It's coming. And what is this inheritance that we receive? Well, we see it in verse 5. It's not land, okay? But it's a salvation, he says, Peter says, a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, it's the final aspect or the final portion, the final part of our salvation. Here's what we know about our salvation. First, what we know is that there is a past aspect of your and my salvation. When we believe in Jesus Christ, we know that we were saved from the penalty uh, of our sin because we were justified or declared righteous by God. 
Right? Our sins were placed on Christ, and his righteousness actually becomes our righteousness. We were saved from the penalty of sin when the Father called us and set us apart. At the same time, we know that presently, we are being saved from the power of sin. Again, this goes back to the the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit that we looked at last week, right? That That you and I, we're becoming more like Jesus, right? And that sin no longer has authority or power over us, right? Even right now in the present. But then there's a final phase to our salvation or a final part to our salvation, And that is that we will actually be saved from the presence of sin altogether. In other words, sin does not exist in the world to come. And so we will then, at that time, with the Lord in his presence, we will be, we know, it's promised, delivered fully, finally, and completely from all decay, all sickness, all Trouble, all conflict and pain, suffering, grief, guilt, sorrow, anxiety, tears, hatred, disappointment, misunderstanding, weakness, failure, ignorance, confusion, imperfection, right? On and on and on, we will be delivered from it all. And so we start there. The bottom line of this doxology. He's just these, these three verses is Peter saying, praise the Lord that we have an inheritance, a promise from God. We have hope that even though we struggle now, it will be no longer at the fullness of our salvation. That's the point of this doxology. But now let's go back and break this down in a little bit more depth. And as we go through this hymn of praise, uh, we're going to be answering different questions surrounding this inheritance. And so let's start back in verse 3. This is again how Peter starts. He says this. He says these words, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's right here that we see where our inheritance comes from or the source of our inheritance. Uh, now, what we, see, what we see Peter doing here is really borrowing from his own Jewish experience. Because right here, he's actually talking like a Jew. Because for Jewish people, the most common way that you could start a prayer or, or start a praise was to say something like this. Uh, Blessed are you, O God. Blessed are you, O God. Right? We see this all throughout the Old Testament. But notice here that that Peter adds something to his doxology that we should take note of. He says, Blessed be God, but then he keeps going, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it can be rightfully said that this inheritance comes from the one who is blessed. That's why Peter blesses God here, why he adores him, praises him, exalts him. Because this God has enabled us to to attain this inheritance. God is the source. He is the source. 
Our inheritance is a gift from God. And, and again, uh, who is this God? Who is this God? Well, well, look at his title here. Peter calls him the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's actually a designated title. That's not a descriptive phrase. Peter's saying he is the God who is one with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Peter's saying. Yes, we know he is. God is the true and living God. He's the creator. He's the redeemer. But you also must know him as the God who is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the one who has given us this inheritance. It could never be ours, in other words, if it were not for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's from him. It's his gift to us. And we touched on this same idea a a lot last week, I think. But what this also means is that we have not earned our inheritance if it's a gift. Right? In Peter's introduction, we learn that it is God who is responsible for and who gives us our salvation. It's actually the work of the Trinity, right? We, we studied that. And now we see that reiterated here. Peter says, praise God who is, who is one with Jesus for the reality of our inheritance. This wonderful and comforting gift that comes from him. Ephesians chapter 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. See, all that heaven holds for us is a gift from the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God who is one with Jesus. Well, let's continue in our text. We're just, again, going right through this. Again, this is what Peter says. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then notice, he says, According to his great mercy. And so, with this inheritance, again, we know that it's from God. That was sort of our first point today. It's from God. The source is God. But now we see a second point, God's motive behind our inheritance. In other words, why would God do this? And Peter answers that for us by saying, it's because of his mercy. It's because of his mercy. In other words, it's not that we deserve this. It's that we desperately need it. Now let's talk about mercy for for just a minute. Um, Mercy is a term that applies to the category of misery. Okay, I'll say that again. Um, Mercy is a term that applies to the category of misery. Maybe that's a helpful way for you to remember it. And so, whereas God gives us grace by forgiving us our sins, God gives us mercy by relieving us from the consequences of our sin which is our misery, right? Sin leads to our misery, right? Does that make sense? So for example, in Matthew chapter 17, we know that a father, he he comes to Jesus and he said something like this. He says, Lord, have mercy on my son. For he is a lunatic and, and very ill 
and is always falling in the fire and falling in the water. The father is saying there, show mercy on my son. Get him out of his his pitiful and helpless condition. Relieve him of his distress, his pain, his grief, and his suffering. And, And here's what we know. When God does do that, when he shows compassion, when he rescues and gives relief, we call that mercy. And certainly, we know that God is in the habit of showing mercy because by his very nature, he is a God of mercy, right? Micah chapter 7, verse 18 says, God, he delights in mercy. Psalm 103, 17 says, The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Psalm 108, 4 says, God's mercy is far above the heavens. Lamentations 3 says that his mercies are new every morning. And so what we see here through the scriptures is that God's mercy is as eternal as God himself is eternal. It's as infinite as he is infinite. And it's as if God's mercy is replenished each and every day as he pours out his mercy upon his people. You see, God saved us. We know he saved us according to his mercy. And while there there is certainly mercy given to us in this life, we can't even begin to comprehend the mercy of being completely and forever relieved from any misery. But that's our future reality. Our inheritance comes from from God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And his motivation is his merciful heart towards those of us who are suffering, who are struggling, and who are in misery. Let's keep going. Let's follow Peter's progression here. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Born again to a living hope. And it's here what we really see is, is how we obtain this inheritance. And what do we see here? Well, Peter says, how do we get this? How do we obtain this or receive this inheritance? By being born again. See, here's what we know. This this future inheritance, the, the fullness of our salvation, it is definitely not given to us by natural birth. What we actually see in Scripture is it's the exact opposite. That because we are born into sin, we are actually children of wrath before we meet Christ. Which means that we are given an inheritance, but that inheritance is actually eternal separation from God. Forever separation from God. And so what Peter tells us here is, the only way to new life to this future promise, is to be born again to a living hope. The only way, in other words, you can become an heir of God is to become a child of God. And that makes sense, right? An inheritance is for an heir. 
Right? That's why Jesus says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, unless you're born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of God, right? Unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You're not going to inherit all that God has for his people. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus, right? You have to be a child of God to have an inheritance from God, right? And that seems tough, if not impossible, doesn't it? Like, okay, all I have to do is be a child of God. That's all I have to do. But, but here is the good news of the gospel, right? For Christians, for Christians, for followers of Jesus, what Peter says here is that God has caused us. He has caused us to be wonderfully, miraculously, and supernaturally born again. Born into his family. So that now I can be a child of God, an heir of God, and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. If you've heard the word of God, if you've heard the gospel, and if you've believed it, if you've turned from yourself and turned to Jesus, here's what is true. As you believed, as you believed, supernaturally, God has caused you. He's he's given you a new heart, a new nature, new life, and you were born into his family. You were made alive, made brand new from the inside out, which means now that your desires change, your affections change, along with how you see yourself and how you see God. Being born again means that you are a new creation. Only God can do that. Only the power of God can raise a sinner from death to life, to bring a sinner from darkness into his marvelous light. Salvation is of and from the Lord. And that's why Peter here can say with confidence, and we can praise God for this, that you have a living hope, a living hope, which is a very, I think, central and important phrase to this doxology. See, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't been born again, uh, listen, you actually have hope. You have hope. But the hope that you have is a dying hope. It's actually a dead hope. That's all it is. All you can do if you don't have Jesus is hope for the best in this life. You can hope and you can hope and wish for, for satisfaction, for joy and peace and happiness. But here's what we know. It'll never happen. It'll always just be wishful thinking. Right? Sure, you, you might find what you're looking for temporarily. But ultimately, that hope that you find in, on this earth, it'll die. It will never last. That's why scripture says, if in this world... Only you have hope, you're of all men or people most miserable. All right, listen to that. If in this world only you have hope, you are of all people most miserable. Why? Because your hope just keeps dying and will keep dying apart from the Lord. But when, but when you're born into the family of God, 
when you are born again, you have a living hope, a hope that never dies. Because your best life is in the future. Okay? Sure, you can have a good life now. God does give us everlasting, eternal life now, if you know Jesus. But we have to know that this is true. The best is yet to come in the new heavens and the new earth. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he says this very interesting phrase. He says, For to me to die is gain. For to me to die is gain. It's actually a gain for me to pass away physically and leave this earth. It's my gain that I do that. And why? Why? Why could Paul, why is Peter saying this? Because when we, when I finish my sojourn, when I get to my true home with him, I will see, I will see Jesus in full glory. I will experience the complete fullness of infinite perfection. I will be with him, which also means that there will be a total absence of sin. There will be true and pure worship there with all of God's heavenly hosts. There will be true and pure fellowship with with God, with Jesus, with, with the angels, and with all the saints together. And there will be unrestrained, unrestricted, and infinite pleasure that will never die. Infinite joy there in that place with him. That's where we are headed. That's our true home. And that's why, that's why, although you and I may struggle a little while here, though you you might even feel hopeless today, you can still say that you have a living hope because you are born again, made new, because we have an inheritance that's waiting for us. And so this inheritance that's coming, again, it is from God, it is rooted in his mercy, and it's for those who are children of God. It's received by those who are born again. That's what Peter has told us thus far. Let's keep reading together. Peter writes this next. He says, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And so here we see what I'll say is the character of this inheritance. Right? This is pretty strong, actually. Pretty incredible words here. Peter says that our inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And what's, what that means is that this promised inheritance, that it's actually otherworldly, if you will. Because here's what we know, right? Everything in this world is perishable, defiled, and fades away. Right? Everything in this world does that. But here we have an inheritance that just like the Lord who, who, who gives it to us, it is unchanging, imperishable, and not actually even capable of corruption. It never spoils, never gets old. 
It's always, forever, pure. And think about that in, re- in relation to, to Israel. Remember earlier this morning, we talked about how Israel uh, had the land, land of Canaan, this promised land, as an inheritance. And certainly, right, that was good for them, right? That was a blessing to them. But if you go through the Old Testament, I think you see Jerusalem being destroyed by Israel's enemies something like 17 different times throughout its history. Pretty, pretty amazing. Okay, so, so God gave the Israelites an inheritance, but it, it was uh, de- destroyed over and over again. But now we have an inheritance. Peter talks about an inheritance here, this, this heavenly inheritance that cannot be harmed by anyone or anything. It's indestructible. It's unfading. It's permanent, just like our God. And then added to that, if that wasn't enough, there's more. Peter says our inheritance is imperishable. It can't be corrupted. It will never fade away. And look, he says, it is to an inheritance that it's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And then look what he says. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are, be, are being guarded through faith. Bottom line, this leads to our next point. This means that our inheritance is also secure. It is perfect, it is pure, it is everlasting, and also Peter says it is secure. In other words, what that means, no one can take it away. No one can take away this inheritance. Why? Because God is the one keeping it for you. By his power, he's actually guarding, keeping your inheritance. That word guarded there, it's actually a military term. A military term. And the picture here would be uh, of a group of, of soldiers who are vigilantly protecting a fortress. Okay, you can kind of imagine that, right? They're surrounding this fortress. They're guarding it day and night. They're keeping watch. They're looking out for the enemy. And, and so Peter, by using that word, what he's saying here is that, that God is actually guarding your soul in that very same way. That God has caused you to be born again. God is the one who has given you the new birth, this living hope. And now Peter just adds on to this goodness. He says, and that salvation that was given to you, God is guarding it for you as well. Right? How encouraging is that? How amazing is that? And so listen, right? I hope this makes sense. This is why we praise God. This is why we praise God. This is why we bless God in his name. Because despite our weakness, despite our, our struggles in this life, all of our failures, God is reserving a fully realized salvation for you that will be yours in the kingdom. This promise that we have from God, this inheritance, it's being safely held for us in the holy presence of the Lord. And so this is what salvation is all about. It's what it's all about. This is what is promised. 
This is what is to come in the next life and what is secured to us, for us, an inheritance. God's full, glorious, eternal salvation, a living hope protected by the power of God. That's why we give him praise. It's truly amazing. But also understand, we have to understand this as well, that this is only made possible, this inheritance, the promise of this inheritance, this is only made possible because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Peter says here, let's read it again, it's worth our time reading through it one more time. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Then look, through, this is done through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so our living hope, our new birth, this life with God is possible, only possible through what Jesus has achieved, through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Through his resurrection. The resurrection, we know, is Jesus' exclamation point on all that he came to achieve. Forgiveness of sin, yep. Ransomed from the the wrath of God, yes. Defeat of death, check. Full atonement for his people, new birth achieved, he did it. He accomplished it. He achieved it through his resurrection from the dead. And therefore, church family, Therefore, if there is no resurrection, there is no inheritance. If there is no resurrection, there is no eternal hope. If there is no resurrection, there is no salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. But, but, there was a resurrection. Jesus rose from the grave. And because he is risen, because he is still risen today, heaven has been opened up to us. And there is now a way to living hope. Because he is risen, because Jesus lives, you can live also if you would just embrace him by faith. Today, you and I can can praise God. Actually, we, we should praise God because the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has caused us, has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Because of his love and mercy, he has given his children an inheritance, the fullness of salvation that is perfect pure, everlasting, and protected. We are exiles here. We are sojourners here. But praise Jesus, we have a living hope in him and through his resurrection.
Let me pray for you this morning.